0: listening to the Bresniks cast, I'm Vlad Bresniks. My guest this episode was Dridia. not only of Empire of the Vampire, formerly Alterity, we'll talk about that, but also the Darkwave label too. Before we get started, let's hear some of Dridia's music. So with a track of the same name, here's Empire of the Vampire. So I'm here with Tridia. Tridia, thanks for coming on the show. Hey, thank you. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, it's great to have you on. So why don't take us to the start? Tell us about yourself and sort of how you got started.
1: All right. So uh, th- I've always been a bit musically inc- um, musically inclined, and I, I actually have uh, I have high functioning autism, so it's it's kind of a bit harder for, harder for me to sort of connect with others, but in, the, but in the same way, you know, connecting with music it kind of helps with that sort of thing. And uh, it's it's kind of been weird my my background with music because I I actually played guitar when I was like I was like uh 14 up around until the end of uh, end of high school when I started producing more electronically. I ended up always r- rounded with a pretty eclectic music taste, ranging from like um uh, metal to like instrumental rock stuff like Steve Vai and all all that sort of stuff, to like J- uh J-pop and J-rock that sort that sort of stuff. And you know, and even some uh, some game and cinematic soundtrack stuff that blends into my music now. Uh, that blends into my music nowadays. And so uh, I guess you could say a lot of that. Is, uh, a lot of that comes to uh, a lot of that comes together with uh, with my general with my general sound. But it was it's po I would say my days as an actual musician probably began around 2013 uh, ish when I started working closer with a uh, with a group of friends of mine. Weird. Uh, I was. They were doing on um, ghosting stuff in the music industry, ghost producing, more specifically, and uh, th- they kind of th- they just kind of threw me into the whole into the whole mix, and so I kind of ended up working with them for a little bit. I was, I'll avoid going into, going into too many details, but eventually, I uh, eventually I was working tw- on towards making stuff for um, for myself, and that's sort of where M- Alterity eventually. Uh, th- Eventually came about in 2016, and so from there I started working with that, and then I ended up I ended up um, working with a different set of people that I eventually came to not like, and that's where and that's where I eventually came to breaking from electronic music, and then working towards um, working slowly towards dark wave, and I kind of I started more with like a synth pop thing. I worked with this uh, Serbian um, producer at the time. That's where we formed the um, Afterlife album, that eventually got some notice, and that was kind of the first kickoff for that. But much like how I didn't like the last people I worked with, the um, the two of us didn't really get along, and so that's where oh, that's where things broke off. And then I ended up finding, um, I ended up finding who is now Lukio, a Finnish witch house producer who is who had a very unique sound, and I thought. And the two of us immediately clicked when we started talking, like I like, straight up off the bat. And so from there, and then working with some of the people I'd, I'd worked with previously, Sandra Bullock and um, Maverick, they had both done uh, did their sh- uh, fair share of work on the Afterlife record. And so that's where where Empire of the Vampire kind of uh, kind of came to be. And I get I suppose the solo stuff kind of ha- uh, kind of happened in betwe- in between. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, what was the main reason then? Because obviously you formed like Alterity,
0: and now it's Empire of the Vampire. So, why did you want to make that change?
1: It's actually, um, it's actually partially a copyright issue. Actually, there's a, um, there's already two other acts called, a, uh, called Alterity, and one of them is actually still primarily active. I think another issue, uh, another thing with it too, is that uh, I would say at this point, Empire of the Vampire isn't the, isn't the same isn't the same band that that was um, Alterity, and honestly. Uh, honestly since the release of the looks that- uh, since the the release of this second uh single from afterlife it's not up now but there was a track called the looks that that kill i honestly think after that um, i honestly think after that track that was uh, that was a lot more of the that was a lot more embracing of the whole um, dark wave sound that is more apparent in Empire the vampire stuff that's out now and i would i would say around the time that that track came out i think that was the point where where alter it wouldn't be honest to call alterity alterity, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, and absolutely. I know what you mean because, like, sometimes you do find these issues of other people with similar names and things like that. And in a way, it sounds like, as well, it's not just that, it's obviously partially it, but it sounds like, as well, that you're kind of. You've kind of grown into a different sort of sound, you know, and the name change sort of almost marks a kind of different era for you, if you know what I mean. Like you, like kind of like you're saying, like you are sort of, you're the same band but different in a way, if you know what I mean.
1: Yeah, and that, yeah, and I think I think that's that's definitely the situation here. I think that's the most accurate way to describe it.
0: So, tell us about a sinister night out then.
1: Uh, with the sinister night out, actually, it's, it's been a bit, bit bit of a lengthy process. It's actually been uh, been since. Uh, about the time that Q uh, joined the group was uh, was about the time that uh, *Sinister Night* uh, *Sinister Night Out* began. I believe that was around uh, that was around, uh, around November-ish. So it's been a good it's been a good eight months or so, and even even now we're uh, we're just we're uh, working on final touches for that. But uh, a lot of the, I think the biggest thing with a *Sinister Night Out* is really compared with the. Uh, the stuff as Alterity is moving forward towards uh, towards the more horrific sounds and a lot of the inspirations from horror movies and such, and focusing on, of course, on a lot of that goth sound in comparison to some of the more inspirations from uh, more '80s inspirations from the uh, previous stuff we were we were doing before. I think it's the, uh, that's one of the most important things. And I think you can see that with the album cover as, as well. There's, uh, there's, of course, the whole soundtrack aesthetic with it. Because mm, it's not a real film, is it? No, it's... Uh, no, we just got the... Uh, we just got, uh, it was kind of a nod to a lot of the, cl- the classic horror soundtracks that inspired some of that. Uh, of course, most obviously, Suspiria. For those that are unaware, that that's the, uh, that's the film that the, that the soundtrack... me me that the album cover for Sister Night Out pays tribute to. It was a popular film of uh, it was by Dario Argento in 1977, and Goblin of uh, an Italian prog rock group made the uh, made the soundtrack and had this very innovative uh, soundtrack that was a big that, um, that was a big influence definitely on uh, on on ask me uh, Empire of the Vampires Empire of the Vampires book as a whole not um, not just a sinister night out but also the self-titled EP.
0: Yeah, because it was a self-titled EP that came out just before that, didn't it? Because obviously, a sinister night Out not not out at this point. It's I think it's August. It's going to be, isn't it?
1: August second. Yep. And actually, that uh, actually that's going to be the 34th anniversary of of the cl- classic 1985 movie, Fright Night. Oh, really? <laughs> that was absolutely intentional. Oh, really? I love that. I love that movie. <laughs> I haven't seen that in
0: ages. They actually they made a remake fairly recently, didn't they?
1: Uh, yeah, uh, well, yeah and and then there's the, there's an awful sequel for the remake.
0: Oh was there. I never saw that. I never saw that. I don't think I saw the remake at all. I saw, I've seen the original but not the remake. For a long actually time. isn't off is it not? Cuz that's the thing usually when you get these remakes they're usually I mean I'm saying that I mean it's like you know there's The Evil Dead and I really love The Evil Dead films and all this See this Ash versus Evil Dead and all this other stuff. I haven't even watched it because I'm too worried about how it's going to be. You know what I mean? Because the first three films, I've I think, i heard,
1: heard that you, the, the at least the remake for the first Evil uh, for Evil Dead was was less uh, was was less of a downgrade in quality, more just different. Uh, but, uh, the, but in terms of the Fright Night remake, I think that I think that's the best way to describe it as well. Not worse, just different. It definitely takes a whole other different different, um, different approach compared to the um, compared to the 80s film like. I guess the best way to describe how different it is is that the, uh, the soundtrack com- uh, doesn't t- doesn't take it from the aesthetic at all.
0: Do you know what I find sometimes with these things as well? I find sometimes the, the 80s version is usually a bit more sort of comedic and silly and usually a lot of the time when they remake things, they tend to put a more kind of you know, sedious and more kind of realistic. Yeah. Spin and on it, that
1: bit. is, that is definitely how, how it is with this one, but I think it, it takes, I think it takes the right balance of that. Like, I think it, it I think it kind of knows what, what it needs to do. You know what I'm saying?
2: Mm. It's
1: not, abs- it's not absolutely perfect, but I think, I think for what it, wa- for what it wanted to accomplish and for introducing this film to a newer audience, I think it did its, its job pretty well. Hmm. But anyways, um, right, um, going back to uh, mentioning uh, the, Empire of the vampire and correlating uh, correlating that sort of taste in horror uh, horror movies with a lot of that but I think with uh self-titled record I think that uh, I think that's definitely one that most incorporates that uh, uh the remain the remaining of the uh, of a lot of the 80s aesthetic like there you kind of have some of that um, you have some of that dark synth element there with tracks like the welcome to the dark side and um fright night part three all those tracks are actually um from the uh, compilation series the dark wave. They come from uh, the Dark Wave Volume One, Three, Four, and Five, respectively.
0: Because the Dark Wave for the for the audience, the Dark Wave is your label, isn't
1: it? Yep, that's uh, and actually it's a comp. Uh, it's also a free compilation series, and the, uh, there are five volumes total. And there's a, there's going to be a new series that will be eventually that will be eventually started. Uh, we could we might even be we might even be able to, bri- uh, to briefly touch on that if we end up to- uh, if we end up touching more details on the dark wave. But well, I will say that there there is a five five volume free compilation series that brings together a lot of these a lot of these dark a lot of these dark uh, sounds together from a lot of from a lot of different artists and uh, each one of them has an Empire, of the vampire track, and the, those are the ones that make the uh, self-titled EP and volume two. Has a track from the, uh, the uh, Sinister Night Out album actually called Empire the Vampire, which is where the band name actually came from.
0: Because, I mean, yeah, looking at the dark way, you've actually put out quite a bit of music already, haven't you? Uh,
1: yeah, we th- we've been starting to, we've been starting to uh, th- make moves with that. And because uh, the, there's, the, there's, of course, the Drury album, S- Second Coming. And then there's, uh, th- there's Eyeshadow 2600 FM's uh, th- single, More Human Than Human. Actually, tomorrow she has a new single, Omega. That will actually be, be coming out at midnight alongside a music video, and then uh, Q also has his album that's dropping uh, that's dropping tomorrow, season of the queer witch, and then th- and then on top ta- on top of all of that, Ice shadow has their album to uh, has their album terminus that we d- that we dropping in October, and then of course the sinister night out on uh, t- on August second.
0: And it's interesting as well, isn't it, because, I mean, we've talked a lot on the show about, you know, labels and the kind of modern music industry. Do you have more of a kind of loose relationship with the, the artists you put out records for?
1: Yes, a very loose. I think it, it might even be more accurate to call the, the label a music, uh, a music collective with the, uh, with a lot of these artists. And there's definitely a lot of freedom. Uh, there's a lot of them, and I, I kind of work with them on a case-by-case basis. I think it's the most that's the most important thing for me is to uh, Is to see what is to see what their individual needs are and what they specifically and and what they specifically what on me if they, if they just need a if they just need a little bit of a push or if they want to do a full release with us, or if they need help with it, uh with this or that, and it's, it's it's interesting you know working with each of them on a case by case basis it's different from me to the to eyeshadow to Plague, to ear uh to the BBOB it it, it, really, it really is it really is interesting to look at it and the angle from all of them
0: yeah absolutely and it's interesting as well isn't it because of like things like the internet and stuff like that you know something like the the music industry that was kind of very competitive and still is in a lot of ways but now there's all these kind of opportunities for more kind of cooperation kind of like what you're saying you're doing with the dark wave you know and it's a kind of different approach to doing the same thing
1: i, de- I definitely i definitely think i that, think that's true and i think and I think I think the individual artist is something that uh, that sometimes is a little bit uh, is a little bit under undercut in the music in the music industry. And uh, I, this is going to be a bit of a hot take, but I also I also think some uh, some of the people in the uh, some of the people in the music industry also kind of uh, also kind of push that them, uh, themselves you know, themselves by uh, th- by some, by mislabeling terms such as industry plant, which uh, by mistake by mistaking what "quote-unquote" industry plant for artistic development, and I think that lack of artistic development that is further pushed by um, by this mentality and by uh, the labels in the industry themselves. I think it's I think it's something that very much under, undercuts the creative process and also creates sort of an artificiality uh, over overall and perhaps uh, contributes to a certain lack of quality at times.
0: Yeah, I know what you mean. And the whole, the whole issue just now with like sort of the music industry and stuff like that, you know, because, I mean, you see, there's now a lot, there's more labels than I've ever seen in my life now, you know, but in a way, I know there's, there's more people online. There's, you know, there's, there's more noise. So it's harder to get noticed and things like that as well. I suppose that's the kind of drawback of all this too. You know, it's, it's, it's great that it's easier to do, but now there's just so many people out there and that makes it a bit more difficult to even get noticed in the first place, you know.
1: Yeah, and def- definitely, and that's where I ch- I try to use something like the dark wave to uh, to kind of have an a an aesthetic, that can actually get a lot, of, uh, a lot of these, a lot of these people noticed. And that's, I think that's the important thing for me is is working to have uh not just uh, not just have a platform in the uh, platform on my uh, my level, but also have a platform on their level that they can pre- present to their audience or or whatever group of people that is being introduced to them. And I I feel and that's where that's where you have this uh, I guess you could call it the dark wave machine where you have uh Ensembler doing banners and stuff and Donnie or Juan doing the videos you know
0: mm, that's the thing and is it just like uh I think it's only digital releases for now
1: yeah uh yeah though actually uh a sinister night out will be the first physical release for uh for the dark wave
0: what format are you putting it on CD ah oh, brilliant.
1: Yep, yeah, I actually, uh, I actually posted the designs on the on the Darkwave Twitter.
0: That's really, it's really interesting because, like, especially to see how all this stuff has come back in the last few years. You know, records it wasn't surprising they came back because nothing's ever really beat it, in my opinion. But like everything, like from cassettes and all that, and even people have put out stuff on mini disc and all this kind of thing. So it's just been interesting to see as well how you know, like, there's been. Because we're talking about how sort of things have changed a bit in music, it's interesting to see how all this physical stuff is coming back as well. I think that's a really good thing too.
1: Yep, and actually, I'm uh, I'm working on also uh, the idea of doing promotional um, posters as um, as well, and doing those um, the more And eventually, I'm going to work on doing more uh, more visual ads alongside Insomber, and uh, you know, kind of promote uh, promoting almost almost like promoting a big motion picture movie, you know. I think it's it's more coming up with like a sort of a uh, and sort of aesthetic aesthetics that fits to you and your audience. and I think I think so not even just uh, having those things for your audience, but also just the not for the, your audience to buy, but also just the idea of having those and in, in general kind of adds a certain aesthetic to your sound or to your to your image as a whole. And that's where I think it's important with the sinister night out. Um, because there's a certain influence in '90s goth music as a whole, not just with not just with a uh, Sinister Night Owl, but Empire the Vampire and and even some of the aesthetic of the dark of the dark wave as a whole. A lot of it derives from uh, from '90s goth music, and so bringing in CDs was was an important thing for me. I actually wanted to do. Uh, I actually was considering doing it with more releases, but uh, it's also uh, it's a money thing and for right now but eventually i'm looking to do uh, possibly do a cd release with ice shadow's album terminus that will be coming out october 26th so i'm hoping by that time i'll be able to i'll be able to say let's do the, let's do it for this album because i think for i think that record as it's coming along is something special
0: Absolutely, that'll be very interesting. And as well, what we should do is we should talk a bit about your solo stuff because you released an album in June. they called Second Coming. And the way I kind of yep. think of it when I hear it is, it sounds kind of like your solo stuff is maybe kind of it's more on the experimental side. It seems like it's kind of more your kind of, I don't know how to put it. You're more kind of your explorations, if you want to put it that way.
1: Yeah, it's it's de- it's definitely uh it's definitely a pre uh, definitely some of the uh, stuff for. Yeah, especially in the trilogy area it, it, it was a precursor to a lot of uh, the, a lot of what Empire the vampire is doing now uh, what actually uh, will happen is actually none of that was supposed to actually be re- released nothing on trilogy was actually supposed to intentionally be released at first that might be a bit of a shocking re- revelation but uh, th- but to explain after the fa- after what I consider to be the failure of of uh, th- of afterlife, the, uh the alterity the alterity album that was the first uh dark wave record why do you consider that a failure uh well at the at the uh, at the time I, would, I didn't really get the big push that i was hoping there's a lot there's a lot of uh there's a lot of rejection in that and also the the reception was generally very mild i think three three out of ten uh, even by supporters of alterity uh the general the record is generally regarded as as about as about a six or seven out of ten.
0: Mm. That's the worst, isn't it? When you put out something and you've got the anticipation, and it kind of falls flat. I've had that with things before, and it's it's probably that's just one of the worst.
1: Yeah, and that's and now, and what kind of uh, and so what I en- ended up happening was I ended up uh, I ended up sitting uh, sitting down and experimenting with a lot of different sounds, samples, and and different vibes and uh, and such. And that's where uh, eventually I put together some stuff and some ideas. I ended up reali—I ended up realizing these are fu- functional enough that I could put—I could put out a record with of this. And I realized, as a, and actually, I was in a Discord chat, and they had said that I—they uh, asked about solo stuff. So that's where I was like, you know what? Screw it. I'm gonna put—I'm gonna put some of the stuff out as a solo record. And so that's where the first seven tracks of trilogy became released as Blood Red, and that ended up getting an interesting set, uh, set of reception. And so I ended up, I ended up deciding, you know what, next month I was, uh, you know what, I will I'll take seven more th- seven more of these tracks, I'll put them out. Okay, so I did so I did that, and then Revival got off. It didn't get off on neither of these tra- uh, neither of these projects got like uh, got like a ton of notice. But uh, in terms of the people that did receive that did receive uh, the second one of those Revival, that's the tracks eight to fourteen on the trilogy record. Uh, that was I was super well received. I was that was like the most positive uh, reception that I had for a record at the time. So that's where I was like, you know what? I'll I'll put out the last seven of these, and then w- and then that's where that that's where that came about. And then when I ended up switching distributors, uh, that's when I was like, you know what? I'll I'll re release this together as trilogy. And that's kind of how that came about. And uh, I think with Second Coming, uh, uh, that's sort of where I kind of wanted to form my own sound as Dreria, and you know, kind of experiment with a lot of different sounds. Uh, I kind of started, you know, incorporating more like organs and stuff, you know. And I, th- you know, there's some of that in Empire of the Vampire, but I think, I think, uh, I think the most accurate way to describe it, I think there, oh, I think there, there's a lot more focus on the horror there, and you know, incorporate. Oh, and incorporating some of those influences, I mentioned like a lot more directly the uh, the 90s goth and and also the uh, and also the goblin and all that all that sort of stuff. And I think that's I think going forward, uh, I think a lot of that push towards the horror and the goblin and uh, Fabio Frizzi and that sort of stuff. I think that's where Drivia is going to end up going. I think it's going to be a lot more towards that. And that's, I think it's going to be uh, important coming into the next Drury album, The Original Vampire, which I may end up talking about later. But hmm. well, why don't you tell us a bit about that, actually? Uh, so, so actually, uh, so this album has actually kind of been quietly in, a, in the works for a while now. Actually, the, um, one of the tracks on the Empire Vampire record, The Ritual, was originally going to be a part of, the, a part of this album. On the Drury track of... Uh, Revival, and there's going to be a bonus track on the physical version of *A Sinister Night Out: Blood Coven*. Those three tracks initially were going to make um, the, the original idea for uh, the idea for the original vampire, but as as it kind of as it kind of turned out, it's it's not uh, it's kind of hard to explain. I just ended up I ended up feeling like like that wasn't the aesthetic I want I wanted to go for. I just kind of felt, felt like I, I, I needed to take some time to kind of a sti- um, to kind of go towards uh towards some different sounds there and uh you know with the, rit- the, uh, the and you can kind of see you can kind of see some of uh, some of the some of the ideas a little bit there with um with some of what's coming about like with the ritual there there is there is that uh that 70s piano in there that kind of go, goes into those heavy chords you know and kind of, I think you can kind of see in, uh, a bit of an influence of uh, some of the um, the stuff that I mentioned earlier, with like some like more the instrumental rock influence, and uh, like uh, Steve Vai I mentioned earlier, but also like the Black Mages. Does that name ring a bell? Yeah, oh yeah. Oh. Yeah, so uh, so like the Black Mages, Steve Vai, uh, and, and even like some of Metallica's instrumental cuts like Orion and Suicide and Redemption, mm. that sort of thing. Hmm. Some of that uh, comes in uh, alongside all of the horror stuff and I kind of th- I kind of want to be more uh, dynamic with the solos Because with uh 'cause because with second coming, you know, there is uh, th- There is some of that shredding of course But I kind of wanted to I kind of want to uh, be more varied with it and maybe even do like different instruments kind of do trade-offs You know uh, cut kind of expand it a bit more and flourish out the sound a little bit because second coming was a little bit more minimal so I kind of want to I kind of want to back away from that I kind of want to back away from that or at least focus on having a much uh oh, having a more dynamic sound as a whole I think that word dynamic might be the biggest word there.
0: That's interesting because it's interesting to see you see that in different people sometimes people start off kind of begging then go minimalist but it's interesting to see like uh, you start off kind of maybe kind of more minimalist but you want to kind of make it bigger and i assume like more epic and sort of every yeah kind of i way. think
1: i think i think it's a technological thing for uh, for my end and uh there's always been kind of a big sound to it like because i mean the sisters of mercy have always been a big influence on territory. you use it and uh, you know floodland is one of my favorite albums of all time and so, you know, as, as you can imagine with that, I've always been kind of trying to aim for that big Jim Steinman epic big sound, you know, and that's the, and it's just been I haven't had the technology to do that as much, you know, so that's where some, sometimes I kind of work in some of the uh, That's where I initially was experimenting with the horror aesthetic the trying to uh, go for a bigger sound, but then that ended, ended, up, with some, oh, that ended up with something completely different. So I think trying to fo- I think now it's kind of trying to focus on going for, to going for that bigger you know and and it's it's kind of int- it's kind of ironic because ne- it started with that but then I th- I think now I've backed away from that those sort of uh, roots and the sisters of mercy more than ever. Well, absolutely, and it's you know it's been interesting to see there has been
0: kind of a, a revival of that kind of stuff you know like because we obviously had. You know, the synth wave and all that, and it kind of got into all these parts, but it was interesting to see the darker sort of thing come back in the first place, you know, like, because when I was younger, you know, I was like, I was quite young in the 90s, but, I you know, I had an older brother that loved all that kind of stuff, so I was kind of growing up listening to, like, the Sisters of Mercy and Typo Negative and all that kind of thing, you know, and it's interesting to see how it's just like, it's that 30-year cycle, I think, for some reason... Seems that every thirty years everything comes rolling back round, but like it's yeah, it's something I'm glad to see coming back. And in some ways, like you know, it's it's interesting because when I listen to, it's not even just with this type of thing, but with other types of music as well. Something that's kind of a a movement that's been inspired by something that came previously. I find that I tend to like not favour one over the other, I tend to like both the older stuff and the newer stuff inspired by it, because at some point it does become something different, you know what I mean, like with modern technology and modern musical sensibility, you know, it's, obviously you can hear the influence but it really does take on, if it's done properly, which, you know, like it is if you like it, and it's then it becomes its own. It becomes its own genre at that point, really. You know what I mean? And it kind of moves forward from what it was before. Yeah, and if, I, th- I think I
1: think I think that's definitely most notable with Empire of the Vampire. If you compare it to like um uh, the '90s goth records with like uh, uh with like or Midnight Configuration, and those uh, and those type of bands, uh, we th- we end uh we uh we we uh, definitely analyzed a lot a lot of those um, classic uh record a lot of those classic records and. We ended, up, we ended up taking what we what we liked from them, and we kind of felt like we could. Uh, there were some things that we could improve upon them uh, from a technological standpoint. Speaking of technological, I think it's important to note that it's okay to say that like some of these records haven't uh, haven't always held up, and sometimes that's where interesting advances can help move a uh, move a genre forward. Like say dark wave or uh, dark wave, EBM or, or industrial. Mm.
0: There's a lot of that older stuff as well. There's because of the technological limitations at the time, so there is some stuff that just sounds bad. You know what I mean? By like today's standards, it's just it's not it's not up to something you could do yourself with an introduction version to Ableton. You know, like I find in some things, but obviously, like you said, it's just one of those things. And I don't know. In a way, it does give some of those old records character, like if you know what I mean. But it can it kind of sometimes ruins it a yeah, bit. Yeah, well. I, th- I th-
1: I think the biggest comparison would be to compare the early Blue Tenjo records to the uh, to the newer ones for sure, because I I remember listening to uh, Blue Tenjo's 2005 album. I remember easily not being a big uh, big fan of Angel uh, Dust actually. No, it came out in 2002 actually, not 2005. And I remember listening to Angel Dust. Uh, and keep in mind, my first Blue Tendril album was their 2013 record Monument, and so going back to 2002 and hearing Angel Dust and, he- and hearing some people, uh, and hearing a little bit of praise for it, I, fe- I felt really disappointed, to say the least. And that, that's because a lot of the technological aspect, like Butenjo tends to have a very big and epic sound And uh, nowadays. Even some hints of that come into the 2002 record, but a lot of it is stuck in a lot of the general EBM and a more electronic influenced dark wave uh, aesthetic that it, that didn't really work as well into the two thousands due to the technolo- technological limitations. It's
0: it's interesting as well, like because you know, just to even see how, how the technologies jumped in such a short period of time. You know what I mean? Because like when I was when I was a teenager it was you were everyone, you know, like the only thing you could really you had to go to a studio to get your band's demo cut and you had it was cassette four tracks that I had, and then it was, you know, literally within the space of ten years the sort of whole digital thing started to happen and it's just it's it's not in such a short period of time how it's changed yeah so and it's much, crazy
1: because like. uh, uh, I'm not sure if you've ever heard the uh, if you've ever heard this story but actually oh uh, when they made that when they made their debut album uh, supposedly they they are uh, because you know you had to get in a studio at this time but they couldn't re- record in a studio they actually snuck into a studio whenever whenever when everyone was gone that's how they put together uh, the the initial version of My Immortal.
0: Well that's, that's similar to the thing, the Trent Reznor thing as well. I think when he did Pretty Hate Machine I believe the story was he was a cleaner in a studio and they let him use the studio at night time um, when no one was using it obviously so then like that's how, I, I believe that's exactly how he recorded Pretty Hate Machine was doing that at night it's the only way he could get access yeah, and to I th- Yeah I
1: think, I, think it, I think that sort of barrier like being broken down now I think that's I think that's the most important thing to explain the advancement that we have now, and I think that's that's perhaps something that has very much, um, very much fueled the advancement of a lot of the a uh, lot of the records and the promotion of uh, of records that we have now. And and because I, I look at this and, and like you know some of that you know, and then I look at like say 100 geeks. Uh Have you heard of them?
0: No, I don't think so.
1: They're, they're an upcoming act that you have this bizarre sound that like combines like pop and like do you know who Sophie is?
0: I don't think so. No.
1: She's one of those uh, weird electronic producers like Flume, but like a lot more experimental. Right. Okay, like yeah. like like she she's in the weird electronic camp and uh it's, I, it's honestly I'm under describing her, but I'm just kind of trying to I'm just trying to be quick. But anyways. There's, uh, you kind of have this weird, you kind of have this weird sound that's kind of a mess of a bunch of genres, but also it kind of, this also kind of makes sense in the weirdest of ways. It combines like pop, rap, super experimental electronica. And it's it's like, I I don't think you would get like in a hundred gecks in like, like two decades ago. And I think it's because all of those barriers have been broken. I think to me the hundred gicks is the and even though I'm not as big of a fan of them personally, I think I think their existence, in my opinion, I think that's the blessing that we get out of this.
0: Yeah, I know what you mean. And but sometimes depending I suppose on, on what the thing is, because if I think about something like for example, I was particularly when I was younger, I was very much into digital hardcore. Um, I don't know how familiar, how familiar you are with that and very much into like a taddy teenage riot and all that kind of thing. And, you know, in a way that was kind of like, you know, it was, it was genre mashing and it was quite, cause they were, they were mashing together, you know, like rave and hip hop and all these different things. And. They were doing it at a time, you know, when the technology was different, but I think if you still listen to those like, you know, those Atari Teenage Riot albums or even Nikendo stuff like that, I think all that stuff actually does still hold up today. But I think it's it's really specific on the genre, yeah, if you know I, what I mean.
1: I've heard some, some hardcore stuff. I like I've I have i have heard like some of like the UK hard hardcore and some of the um, some of the stuff like the Prodigy and all and all and all that, like some of the early like the earlier hardcore stuff. I think the big di- I think the big difference again is is that I th- and I know this is gonna sound like a back like uh like a diss to the newer stuff, but I'm I'm saying this it's not a diss to the newer stuff and it's just kind of um, in fact it's an appreciation for the newer stuff. But the old stuff kind of made sense.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. I, I know what you mean. like you like you could t- like you could you could see those like it kind of made sense because like you'd have like the MC that came out during uh, during the raves you know and uh, you kind of had the and that's where that's and you know those so- sounds kind of came together you know it's kind of like when goth embraced industrial you know that just kind of made sense as a, as a step moving forward because that stuff was already stuff was already being played together but that's where uh, that, but then with like a 100 gigs you know, you kind of have this low rent rap, uh, rapping and singing, on t- uh, with all these pitched out effects and, on t- and uh, these super experimental sounds, you know. And that's where I, th- I feel like with the, like acts again, oh, like at, like Gex and even Sophie, uh, as I just mentioned, I think these types of, I think these kinds types of acts are d- definitely the biggest byproduct of all the doors being broken down. And actually even in the mainstream sense, I think twenty one pilots may even might even be a uh accurate representation of that as well.
0: You see, it's interesting like it's interesting to see that how a lot of the older stuff did make sense because you do get some stuff just now. I think it's just you know too much access to too many different sounds, and you know sometimes a lot of stuff put together can really work, but sometimes it is just a mess, or sometimes like it's directionless. And that was interesting that you said that. That like how you were saying about things that that made sense. I was thinking that in relation to something like a Tarry Teenage Riot, because you had this kind of you know this kind of angry breakbeat rave music, but then you know like it was all it always kind of politically focused, and, and it was so it was also aggressive and it all worked towards the one thing. So it did make sense in that way that you're describing i think when you're when you're mixing stuff together there has to be a cohesion to it there has to be some kind of point and you can get bands that can even do that see over a long period of time something like your Radiohead or something like that you know and they can like blend into this other stuff but yeah i think you're right i think it has to make sense there has to be a kind of cohesion to it you know it can't just be all this stuff thrown together you know
1: yeah and i think i think the uh the biggest thing is uh even even with empire the vampire because uh because you have the, you know, you kind of have the 90s goth elements. You have the hor- you have the horror stuff, and you even kind of have a little bit of like uh, dark synth in, in there. And so, uh, like, I'm not, I'm not sure if you've noticed, but a lot of the synthwave community has has kind of embraced Empire of the Vampire because we kind of have a little bit, a little bit of that dark synth sound uh, on to us. There's a lot of there's a lot of bleed
0: over in the synthwave community because there is a lot of stuff that like kind of flirts with the darker side, and then there is a lot of stuff that's considered synthwave that is quite dark, you know.
1: Yeah, and, yeah, and it's, it's kind of it's kind of weird because because like, the initial Afterlife album was definitely a lot more synthwave driven, but even when we made the change, they still fully embraced it because they cause a lot of them just still impre- appreciate some of the horror aesthetic, you know, and when and when we started moving towards that even more. They liked us even more i was like and i was kind of shocked because i thought we were going to lose them you know mm. because you know we're moving towards moving towards towards more goth rock elements but then once for then once we once we put out the on um, the videos we were like oh man like you know they they immediately were all about it you know
0: yeah i mean synthwave has become a much bigger thing than what it was now you know it started off like one way but like every other kind of musical genre as it gets going other stuff gets added in there's innovations and all that and now it's uh by this point it's been around long enough that it's it's really a much bigger thing than what it started out as you know
1: yeah it almost feels it feels like a movement more than more than, um, more, than more than just a genre and that's a, that's the craziest thing mm. you know and ha- having all these artists like Levinsky uh like like Megan McDuffie i'm trying to think of i'm trying to think of the of the other super of the other super unique ones uh ghost dance with the dead Scandroid, you know and a lot of these artists just have have different sounds with different takes you know and even and of course there's there's some of the horse and stuff and then you know and it's, it's kind of crazy how it's all kind of coming together you know and it's the, and it's absolutely awesome i'm glad to be a part of it Yeah, absolutely. I
0: mean, it's one of those things where it's got kind of a clear aesthetic, you know, like even a kind of dress sense. And it's it's always the same with all these kind of genres as well. I mean, even if you think of something that started out like super kind of out of left field, like black metal or something like that. You know, within time as that went over, you started having like black gaze, where it was mixed with shoegaze and atmospheric black metal and all this kind of thing. You know, it just seems that because I mean, it's no fun if you stay within the rules all the time. It has to. Every genre has to expand and come out. But what I think you'll see, which you saw with something like the the black metal genre, is you had it starts off kind of super raw and a basic way, and then it expands out over the years, and people do all this different kind of stuff, and then after a while. People want to go back to the raw kind of original sounding stuff, and I predict we'll see that kind of dip up and down with the synth wave thing as well. If you know what I mean?
1: Yeah, I I think sometimes as well. It, uh, I think some, sometimes it can also uh, it can also lead to like sometimes yeah, what you were saying. Sometimes the um, too many rules can also kind of be a thing. And I think I'll actually point that out with the goth scene. Sometimes that does have that issue. One of the biggest things I've no, I've noticed is especially like a lot of the focus on more of the post puck element. And while that, of course, definitely is is important, but I think I think some of focus too much on on having that post punk root and not uh, and not expanding themselves in, enough as artists, and and usually just generally blending like a little bit of sense here and there, you know, or just a little bit of um, 80s, 80s aesthetic, and then calling and then calling it dark wave, which is where we get say the latest she passed away record that honestly I was not having. But, the, uh, the, but I think I think eventually though I think it's going to move itself forward and I think that some of the in, uh, some of the innovation I've heard and it, some even leaning towards like so, some of the horror aesthetic like some of the stuff that I've do, I've done like I've I saw another band actually Grave Society that I like um, that had that horror aesthetic going for it. Uh, and seeing that I'm not the only one doing that that might even be something that's, that's comes in moving forward. But I think that's the, sort of the important thing: is that, uh, you know, trying to figure out like what what is the right way to move forward. Yeah, I know what you mean. Absolutely. I was just I don't know why there. I was just I was
0: just thinking about that band, of Murder Dogs. They were I re- I remember in the the early two thousands, you had a kind of a kind of bump up of this sort of goth rock kind of stuff as well. But it was I think it was because you were talking about post punk and stuff. It was you had bands like the Murder Dogs and that, and it was this kind of. I was the guy at Slipknot that was in that band and it was that kind of it was that kind of idea, but it was that kind of more sort of punky, superficial kind of thing. I don't know if you listen to
1: much of that horror punk sort of stuff. Yeah, I I have I have listened to some of it. I've listened to them as fits.
0: Oh they, they were the kind of that was the sort of original back in the day. I mean, you did have and there was a great band called Did you ever hear of AFI? Uh
1: yes, I yeah, yeah, I yeah, dude, I love December Underground. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I saw them live years ago supporting the offspring, funnily enough. This about sixteen seventeen years ago or something like that uh, it was quite a while but I remember that kind of that kind of goth punk thing like it was it was a it was kind of a thing kind of i suppose it's kind of it was similar because you had that sort of punk scene back then when sort of like pop pop punk was big and stuff like that you did have goth punk bands yeah. but they were kind of on the fringes but they would sort of be in and out of the mainstream and i think it's similar with the synthwave thing where you've got the darker stuff and it is there and it kind of flirts with the mainstream but it's not it's not most of it if you know what i mean but it is there and it isn't the kind of it's it's the it's in with the bigger acts, but it's just kind of flirting with it if you know what i mean
1: yeah, I and it's weird that you mentioned it with punk with with goth cuz of course there is death rock which is the more punky side of goth rock like it's it's a lot more punk, you know, Christian Death, mm. 45 Grave, those sort of acts. But mm. uh, well, I th- I think it's I think it's weird that cuz you as you said there's also the horror punk stuff and then and then there's sort of the weird in between that's not that's not quite death rock but then it's also not quite goth rock and it's not quite horror punk, you know. Is <laughs> it it's that sort of weird in that sort of weird in between that was a weird thing in the 2000s where, where I felt I felt like where felt like every act was trying, uh, or felt like every edgy 2000s act was trying to flirt with dark wave, and that's where we got she um she wants revenge to almost <laughs> have a
0: hit. Yeah. Well, that always happens. You hear that even with like. Kanye West stuff, putting in little like Vaporwave things and stuff like that you, you, there is always these elements that are in these kind of like underground music genres that you see them just little tiny bits in the mainstream I often think it's like there's that film The Devil Wears Prada and it's meant to be Anna Wintour is interviewing, I don't know what her name is but she's yeah. meant to be you know Yeah, she's basically explaining how she says she's not interested in fashion, but then she explains to her how the colour she's wearing originally derived from, you know, designers who had done shows and it basically filtered all the way down eventually to being in a shop. But it came from that in the first place. And that's how I see it with a lot of music as well. These things, these ideas, these elements that start in underground genres eventually pop up in little bits here and there in the mainstream, but it's not quite the thing it started as, you know.
1: Yeah, and sometimes eventually the genuine article ends and ends, ends up becoming big in some sort of way or another. Like as as I just as I just alluded to, she wants revenge. Uh, ended up in the bubbling under under 100, and uh, here in America with their son tearing apart. Mm. Actually, I think in the UK that they came they came pretty close as well.
0: Mm. I think they may have been. I heard that definitely did hear them on the radio here.
1: Uh is it? Yeah. Uh that actually uh, also was in American Horror Story.
0: Ah, oh, right. Yeah, that would do it as well, wouldn't
1: it? Yeah, actually, that's definitely a fan, fan of them. And actually, and actually, that's that song in particular was actually one that we that we took. A, oh, it's kind of funny you mentioned that. We took a bit of notes from that for a sinister on the title track for a sinister night out. That's where um, we kind of were experimenting with different drum machines. We heard that open, you know, that opening drum line, the and you kind of had that 808 yeah. going. That's yeah. where we kind of we kind of messed up that. But yeah, that kind of comes in full circle, you know, and. And that, oh, and that mostly just came from like bands like Dewey and Kay and all and um EFI and other acts you know flirt, just flirting with like sort of gothy elements and then eventually and then eventually you know here's this act that, kind of, that that's kind of sort of gothy but then incorporates the those, mo- those modern sounds and then they end, they end up becoming on rock radio because they sound like them
0: yeah. <laughs> Uh, It's funny to see this stuff, isn't it? And sometimes you often think as well, some bands, if they were around at different times, the impact would be completely different, you know what I mean? Like, you sometimes get these bands that are just a little too early or just a little bit too late. It's often too early, you know, and then someone else is kind of... It's easy to think of with the grunge movement or something like that. I mean, everyone thought... Before Nirvana were a thing, everyone thought Mother Love Bone were going to be the big thing. I mean, who's ever heard of Mother Love Bone now? The lead singer died and shit, and then like they just were nobody. You know what I mean? But they were they were just kind of too early. The heroin didn't help either. But like you did see that kind of thing. You see it with every genre as well, I suppose.
1: I think I've definitely seen that once or twice. I'm trying to think of it. i trying to think of an act that 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 happened to, but. I can't. I can't think of any at the at the very moment.
0: Uh, it's not always easy to think of off the top of your head these kind of things, but you know they're one of the things where yeah. you know it's about. You know, like it's just. I think it's the same with sort of all that kind of stuff. There's always people that are just just for some reason they're just a bit too early, or it's either that the audience aren't ready for it yet, or that you haven't innovated it to the point where you can make it so mainstream, if you know what I mean. There's usually just an element that's sort of missing. Or sometimes it can be like through someone else coming first, kind of gets that spark of interest in people that then leads to someone else taking over and running with it later. suppose it's just all these different factors. It could be almost anything, I suppose, you know.
1: Well, yeah. Talk, um, well, actually, I, I remember now the one that I was thinking of, Coven, actually. They they, they had that occult rock sound that, um, that Black Sabbath basically... Um,
0: yeah, and they had it early, didn't
1: they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Black, well, Black Sabbath re- released their record months later, and um, Coven had their record pulled from the sh- um, pulled from the shelves because of that whole Charles Manson thing. And the, and there's an article written that associated them with that.
0: Ah, see, that's see, that's just terrible. You know, what I mean, like that's something that will ruin yeah. it. That's just it's horrible. <laughs> I mean, like yeah. as far as Black Sabbath go, I'll just I always have to say this on the show: the first four albums were great. After that, I don't know what they were doing, but like you know, the first four albums were absolutely stunning.
1: i' uh, see for uh see, see for me, uh, I would I would agree the first four four albums, but see uh, I would say the, I would say the the Ronnie era is the is the uh, is the other good thing about them.
0: I never liked Ronnie James Dio. I don't know. It's just something about him. I don't know why. I just oh I never I've never really I've liked to him. I've always,
1: Love Dio, and uh, I've always loved Dio, and I—I I guess you could say with the fact that uh, I, I work with Maverick for Empire of the Vampire, that I kind of love these these very um powerful vocalists, and Dio is just kind of that, so it kind of naturally clicks with me. I've always think i have always thought his his really big sound kind of has a kind of has more natural chemistry, and I kind of have the hot take as as a singer objectionally from an objective standpoint. Let me rephrase it that way. From an objective standpoint, I think that Dio is is a better vocalist than Ozzy. I'd agree with you because like objectively, yes, he does that what I call
0: grasping the imaginary orange kind of singing if you imagine grabbing an orange with your hand upwards. And like, you know, like I know what you mean objectively as a better singer, but for me there was just I don't know, there was so kind of more character in Ozzy. Ozzy had more of that kind of that X-Factor, that thing that's hard to put your finger on, you know what I mean? That thing Shane McGowan has, you know, there was just something about Ozzy Osbourne then, you know, like, obviously now he's a yeah. ridiculous parody of himself. Yeah, I, if he'd have died young like, you know, all those other guys, he'd be remembered like Jim Morrison or something like that. Now he wouldn't be remembered as this ridiculous yeah. guy that he is.
1: Yeah, I think one of the most impo- important things that makes Dio work with Black Sabbath, I th- I, I'll actually tie this to Empire the Vampire to explain why Maverick is important to the group, and I think I think Bla- uh, Black Sabbath have I've always kind of had the um, s- sort of the whole uh, many um, warning of great evil sort of uh, stick with their le- with their lyrics. Mm. I, was, I I kind of feel like Dio has always kind of naturally given off that type of character, and worked naturally with Black Sabbath in this t- in this type of in this type of vein, and especially with tracks like Voodoo, like uh, like Heaven and Hell and uh the and uh Lady Evil and to me these are these are the tracks that personally for me are the best ones in the Ronnie James Dio era not necessarily just you know that, that sound with Black Sabbath but when the, but when they, they try to work that character and that's also why I appreciate the um, the live album that Black Sabbath, uh, that Black Sabbath did dur- during the Dio era because it puts Jane, uh, Dio into those types of into that characterism.
0: Yeah, and absolutely. I mean, it's interesting because you know it was a it was a different era. It's just that's I can never really get into it that much personally. You know, I think the thing I liked about the sort of. The the old Black Sabbath thing that I always liked, particularly in the early albums, was that they always had that one song that didn't sound like it should be on the album, and you weren't sure why it was there, like Planet Caravan or Changes. You know, there was just one song that was completely out of step with the rest of it. But I can't I can't think of them doing that into the deal era. I mean, I might be wrong, but Actually, I've not listened I, to it for a while.
1: There is uh, there is the synth instrumental on the uh, on the mob roles. Oh, yeah. really? The, um, yeah, I I just, uh, that that it led into the title track i, I still I still absolutely love that like um, and they actually incorporated it into the show like they would they would start the show with that during the mob Rules tour and then they were imme- that they, that's immediately how they would jump into the end of the set and, and I, it sounds great mm. and, and actually some, oh, yes. sometimes or sometimes they would oh, they would jump into neon nights and that would that would also sound much better than on the original.
0: Mm, yeah, I know what you mean, it's just, I don't know, I mean, I might actually, I might revisit some of that, it's been a long time since I've listened to this stuff with Dio on it, to be honest, it's it's been years actually, yeah. Um, it's funny much you, yeah. it well, a long time.
1: Yeah, for me, I've, I've always associated Dio the most with Rainbow, actually.
0: Yeah, so would I as well, like, that's where, uh, yeah, that's what I would put him with too, I mean, I mean, it's an interesting choice, and you can see how, how it kind of works, and yeah, him and Ozzy are just a... It's a different, yeah. it's a different thing that each of them brings. Really, yeah. I mean, Dio does bring more technical skill, but Ozzy brings that that showmanship, that yeah. character that you know that's, it's just different. I know that Dio is not, he's not exactly like a wooden plank. I know that he does have a whole character thing and yeah. all that as well, but I don't know, it's just yeah, something likable about Ozzy.
1: Yeah, it's it's something I noticed recently because I was uh, looking into Bloody Hammers. I'm not sure if you've heard of them. Mm,
0: no, I don't think so.
1: are. Uh, have you heard of Anders No, I, I don't think so. Okay, so Anders Många is uh, is a dark wave artist. That's that's how I that's how I know him. He was actually um, he had a, he had his fair share. Um, he had a little bit of relevancy in the 2000s. He kind of had, had had his own little fo- uh, his own little following, and he formed a band with his wife Debalia called the Bloody Hammers. And they kind of have the um, they kind of have that sort of classic Black Sabbath sound, or at least that's kind of how they started. And they leaded more towards some of the breaking some of that goth elements that was in his solo stuff. And bringing that into into their work now, and uh, Anders has always kind of played that sort of um, that sort of same character that Ozzy uh, that Black Sabbath kind of always kind of had. But you know, I feel like Anders kind of ha- uh, kind of has his, his own angle with it, and it's, and I think it's kind of interesting to kind of you know hear you know these three singers you know do their o- their own different interpretation of this same sort of character. And I think that I think a lot of that inspired um, the concept that led into a sinister night out, and will probably bleed it a lot more into the next Empire of the Vampire album, and did this whole idea of the character of the sort of badass woman that te- um, that tears apart men, that I kind of sort of noticed with Maverick and her work with um, that she done with her band, and so I kind of saw her doing that sort of thing, you know, you know the sort of Joan jet thing, you know. And uh, and that's where I kind of was like, you know what? I kind of want to bring th- I kind of want to sl- bring that to like goth music. And so that's where I kind of started working on stuff like uh, th- like the original, the aforementioned, the Looks that kill, and then working on th- and then stuff that's actually out on the, the uh, self-titled Empire album, uh, the vampires have come to Leland, and then uh, Sinister Night Out, and especially and he will always be. I think that was the first song where we really took a serious turn towards that. And it's definitely going to get a lot darker moving for uh, forward with uh, that. Uh, you know, I think in the future, uh, me and Q want to want to go a lot more go a lot more shocking with the lyrical content. Interesting. So, well, as we start to come
0: up to the end, what else is coming up for you that we haven't talked about?
1: As I as I mentioned too, with the dark wave, um, eyeshadow ha- has a uh, single tomorrow. Omega. Uh, she has a, she has a single that has a that has a singer that I uh, that I. I'm going to wait to uh, elaborate on but i am i would guess i'll say i guess i'll say that i am i'm working my magic to incorporate a certain vocalist onto here that i'm super excited to announce once it's ready we also just finished up on um, getting the artwork for terminus and that's going to be up for pre-order tomorrow as well that will be out on october 26th and then uh as i mentioned earlier there's the original vampire for the uh that's the Darius solo record, and then there's uh, for Empire of the Vampire alongside August second being for the Sinister Night out album. I will say uh, sometime in 2020, probably around the same time or maybe more towards October. It depends on how long we take to experiment with different sounds and get different results because it's definitely going to be the record that we really sit down with and make work. But we're going there's going to be a new Empire album called All Men Are Created Equal. And it is going to be it is going to be shocking. It will be brutal, and it will definitely be the darkest thing that I have put to my name. Mm, that will be interesting to hear. Um, so, yeah,
0: dridia thanks so much for coming on the show.
1: Uh, it's no problem. It's my pleasure. It's, uh, it's my pleasure speaking with you. And I'm de- I'm definitely go- I'm definitely glad to uh, speak with you this time around. I definitely look forward to what, uh, what you have going on in, in your show.
0: So, my thanks again to dridia for coming on the show. Check out the Dark Wave; lots of good stuff there. So that is it, the website Bresniks.com. Follow me on Twitter at Vladimir Bresniks. There are many ways you can support the show on the website, and thanks to everyone who does. So let's finish off with a single that came out at the end of July on the Dark Wave label. This is Eyeshadow 2600 FM with Omega.